Redbox Media Programming is brought to you by... Finding someone on an online Catholic dating site shouldn't be like shopping for a blender. So why do most dating sites leave you feeling like you're shopping for a spouse? At Catholic Singles, we connect members through our unique user polls and activities, which help you discover other members and their personalities and interests. Because you're a person, not a profile picture. So stop shopping and start discerning. Trust your love story to the original Catholic dating site and use the promo code REDBOX at checkout for 20% off at catholicsingles.com. Welcome to Liturgy Live for the 29th Sunday in Ordinary Time. Welcome back. Uh, my name is Alana Berg, and with me, as always, is Father Ian Van Heusen. How are you doing, Father? Doing well. Good to see everyone. I'm in the, the great beach city of Wilmington. Um, kind of a long story. I'm here kind of meeting folks, and uh, it's kind of a fun few days. I'll be here in town through Wednesday. So, um, but yeah. Um, what's up? What's the latest? Are, you, are your kids back in school now? I should have asked you that before. No, we're um, homeschooling all year. So we're That's just, right. it's just us. You just, we're em- a, you just embraced it and just like went all in, just said the heck with it. Yeah. Because I really don't know if my mental capacity would be able to handle the, are we in school this week? Are we not in school this week? Are we in school three days a week? Are we not we're just like, we're just going to not. And that's where we're do- what we're doing. It's going great. Um, this week we're taking off as a house week and we're just doing a bunch of stuff around the house um, mm-hmm. and taking a little bit of a break. So it's been fun. Cool. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, that's the cool thing with homeschool, just as long as you get through the content and they're mastering the content. Right. Yep. Cool. Yep. So. Um, all right. Well, uh, let's yeah. jump in. Yeah, for sure. All right. So 29th Sunday in ordinary time. First reading from Isaiah. Thus says the Lord to his anointed Cyrus, whose right hand I grasp subduing nations before him and making kings run in his service, opening doors before him and leaving the gates unbarred for the sake of Jacob, my servant of Israel, my chosen one. I have called you by your name, giving you a title, though you know, knew me not. I am the Lord and there is no other. There is no God besides me. It is I who arm you though you know me not, so that toward the rising and the setting of the sun, people may know that there is none besides me. I am the Lord. There is no other. Okay. So this is, uh, first of all, let's, before we give the context, let's just sit with something that's really profound. What is your initial reaction before you ever heard any of the story of King Cyrus or you knew any of the backstory you kind of think he's a good guy, right? You think this must be a really good guy for. Yeah. Like uh, God is really looking. If you don't him. know anything about it, you know, it's very much like, okay, well, the Lord says that he is the chosen one, even though if yeah. he don't, doesn't know him, he must be a great King. Right. Yeah. So here's a question for you. This is completely politically charged loaded. <laughs> and I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to, I'm going to jump right in. All right. Do you think he had mistresses? I have 
Cyrus probably he probably I had guaranteed. a harem. Yeah, probably had a harem, right? <laughs> yeah. So, do you think that he might have been vicious at times and killed people? Absolutely. Guaranteed. Absolutely, yeah. right? Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and he, uh, let's let's go. What else? I mean, this was this was so. What we what we know from King Cyrus is he was a pagan ruler of a brutal empire, mm-hmm. the Babylon, and, and Babylon. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's interesting that, I mean, the, the profoundness of it is very striking that God is using somebody who's completely outside of righteousness. I mean, that's part of, he's using Cyrus as his instrument, even though he's not righteous. Correct. So let's sink that in for a second. God can use unrighteous people to help the church. He can Mm -hmm. use unrighteous people to help pro-life cause see what i did there he can use unbaptized people any way he wants like he has the power to influence people even though they're not quote-unquote within the family of the church exactly exactly so that's that's an incredibly important um thing to understand i think to, to meditate on a regular basis one thing that i'd like to point out is that the very beginning of this reading, it says, thus says the Lord to his anointed Cyrus. It's the only non-Israelite in the Old Testament referred to as anointed. Yeah. So that's a very striking language because in in that language is the the anointed one is the Messiah, right? Is a savior from from exile. Yeah. So, and, and, and he does great things for Israel. By the way, what's the reading from again? Which book is it? Is it Isaiah? It's Isaiah, mm-hmm. it's Isaiah right? Mm-hmm. So this unbaptized, uh, obviously nobody was baptized at that point. This outsider, this uncircumcised would be mm-hmm. the Israel. God is using him for his glory. And so what did he do for the Israelites? Did you, did you research that? Yeah. So Cyrus allowed the Israelites to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple and, and protected them. They, yes. he, they had his blessing and his protection, which was huge, it was very which huge. obviously was the work of the Lord, <laughs> right? To exactly. move his heart in that way. Absolutely. Um, yeah. it, it's fascinating. Uh, I mean, I feel like we can make so many parallels with some current situations that you probably should just avoid for the sake of controversy. But, but it's, 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 a, it's a fascinating dynamic, right? That um, yeah. that God uses unexpected people to bring about victories, to bring about, yeah, yeah, and and that God can work in the lives of those who appear to be sinners, or who yeah. are who are not just appear to be right, who are active sinners, and the Lord can still use for His glory whatever He chooses. Yeah, and so so sometimes we need to trust. Yeah. You know, to trust in God and say like, okay, God, I don't understand your plan. <laughs> I don't understand what's happening and that's okay. Right. Like we don't have to, we have to know that, our, you know, what we need for our salvation in this moment is given to us. Uh, you know, we have the sacraments and that's yeah. what we you know, need. It's interesting. I just thought about this, how people get this wrong. I was just thinking about this connection with, you know, should, for example, the Israelites have challenged Cyrus to live more uprightly? Should they have spoke truth to power kind of thing? Of course, that's totally ridiculous within the context 
they, they, they would have no way been effective. But I, I think what I've come to appreciate in preaching and teaching, I think I'm going to be able to connect this to the reading. So bear with me. Um, with preaching and teaching, I found it's very effective to be very stern and strong from the pulpit when speaking to everybody. That is to speak with clarity, with truth, with charity, but to challenge people on a consistent basis. And then one-on-one in circumstances to sit back and kind of listen more and, 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 and wait for the Lord to act. Because I mean, I, um, in my own work, there are times when I speak a very strong message and I call people to holiness. And then as a priest and as a pastor, I have to work with people that are far from perfect. And, and I see their imperfections. I'm not blind to them. But I have this view, similar to this reading, that God can use these people for his glory, that, that God can do all things, and that you can build bridges with people in all kinds of circumstances. So it's an interesting dynamic. I think most people get that backwards. They're very judgmental one-on-one in private, but in, very, in public, they, they act like they're very empathetic and understanding. Does that make sense? It's like most people, I think, reverse that. So if you ask them to give a talk on God, they won't lead with, you could go to hell for one mortal sin. They'll say, God is love and God loves you. And then their personal life, they could come across as very critical and mm-hmm. demanding. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think you have to almost reverse the two. Yeah. Yeah. I see, I see where you're coming from. And, and I do agree. And I do also think that some people are, are not preachers who are just judge everything. (laughs) And it's really difficult to work, to work around when, when there is necessity to, to have that uh, strength in preaching and in the pastoral love in one-on-one, right? Mm -hmm. Like, the reality of pastoral love, not what other people abuse it at to be, um, which it's a little bit, a kind of a thorn in my side right now. I'm, I'm, I've been reading this, the, the book of pastoral role by St. Gregory the Great about how it's necessary to be holy and all of these things about being holiness, but also how to talk to each other and how to really be one-on-one and draw these things out and like really weed out this the sin right and and how it's necessary so it's just really interesting because people aren't really talking about that it's platitudes a lot of it is platitudes and shoulds but but really getting into like how do we really treat each other in in these types of circumstances like so it's i think it's really important to talk about absolutely absolutely so but yeah no that's a good point um hey before we get into the comments did you have you followed the comments on my homilies the past three weeks on Catholic Link? I haven't. You have to go back. It's really okay. fascinating study of human behavior, right? Because <laughs> it's like, I, I mean, to be honest with you, I the only thing I'm struck by with the comments is how people don't seem to understand what I'm saying in the homily, or they probably didn't even watch the homily in some. I mean, a lot of cases, but it's really kind of interesting, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that that dynamic. Um, yeah, it's just, it's fascinating. Um, but that's what I would say. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like uh, people who, sinners can change the world for the good. God can use sinners and in our own lives. God can use sinners in our own lives for our good, right? For his glory. 
right? You know, to change it, I, our own hearts. Have you realized, I mean, I've realized recently, even some people who really claim to be devout, um, that they don't live their life as if scripture was true, you know? So, yeah. so, um, and they don't, and they don't meditate frequently on scripture. They might meditate on pious reflections and things like that. But I mean, I feel like somebody who steeped themselves in this reading, um, just will have a clear view of how, how politics works. I mean, and that combined with other things, mm-hmm. like, um, I just, cause I, I, I see so many, I see this, this reading addressing so many lies that are in the media and in the culture um, yes. and how, yeah. 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 I, gr- just- I agree. And I also see a lot of um, equational, like if I do this and this, it, it will equal this. So I'm good. Right. Yeah. And, well, and it's not I integrated. Agree with that. I don't know if I agree with that necessarily. When you say equational, what do you mean? Like, it's not integrated. It's like, if I do this and I do this, then I'm good. Well, so see, that's where I, that's where I would disagree with you a little bit because but if they there's really some have, of that, but that's not it complete. Yeah. I well, mean. I don't think actually, I don't think people actually really have that view with a biblical view in mind, because if you, if you understood what holiness was according to the Bible and what is asked of you, you would go to confession more often. Um, what most people, when they, when I see what you're saying, like a transactional model, but they don't really have a transactional model that's accurate. So Aquinas, right. right. I guess that's what I meant. Yeah. Cause well, so, I mean, well, so some people like, for example, say I volunteer once a week, I go to daily mass. Um, I don't really need to go to confession cause I'm not committing any big sins. Um, but they're angry and they're judgmental or, um, they're domineering or they have hatred in their hearts that they're not addressing. Um, they, they hate their enemies, right? They hate their enemies. They don't, they don't, um, you know, but they're doing the right things on the outside on a very minimal level on a bare bone level. Cause I mean, yeah, yeah. Cause yeah, I mean, if you really know the tradition and you know the scriptures, right? But it's very mother, external. It's not like an integrated. Yeah, there's an element of that too. Yeah, there's an element of that too. But I think it's yeah, I, I, I yeah, but I, I've thought about this a lot. That the um, a transactional model. Is, yeah, exactly. And the transactional model is part of the puzzle. It's not the whole puzzle. Right. Yeah. Right. And um, and that it gets a little tricky. I mean, obviously. I but I think if you actually, if you were to consider what do I need to do to be saved and you would accurately understand your sins, then that would lead you to understand mercy, which is you've been forgiven way more than you could ever pay back. Right. That's, and- that's a fundamental quality of the, the Aquinas' transactional model. The, I mean, it's not the, the fullness of his theology, but it's a part of it, a kind of legal tit for tat. You know, you do something good, you earn a reward. You do something evil, you earn a punishment. Um, but the reality is the salvation is so far beyond anything we could earn. It, right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it, 
we earn the ability to receive more grace, not like yeah. earning more salvation. It doesn't, that's not how it works. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but in terms of, of like, if, how should, how we should really like do that internal investigation of like, do I have bitterness? Do I hate my enemy? I think it's really easy right now to hate your enemy yeah. or to hate someone you perceive probably isn't even really your enemy, but somebody that you perceive as your enemy or who it's socially, you're told acceptable. That it's socially acceptable. It's socially right. acceptable to hate your enemy in the name of love paradoxically. Right. And that's where it's really dangerous because that's where we're, our hearts become corrupted. Even if we're going through the, um, the proper externals, proper, right? Good and holy and, and should give plenty of grace to heal our hearts. But if we don't really assess it and work on it, it's, yeah. it's really difficult to move forward. So, yeah, yeah, no, that's a good point. That is a good point. And, and, and the, the word of God, it should startle us and it should challenge us. Um, that's the one, the beautiful thing I've seen. I've been doing, I was like, I've, I've been giving people a meditation on the three kinds of humility by saying nations and some of those ideas. Mm-hmm. And it, it disturbs people in a good way because they're like, um, they're like, I, I can't, I don't know if I can accept the heights of holiness. Like, that's a great, that's a great place to start to recognize that, like, because uh, the three kinds of humility, the first step is obedience to the commandments. The second step is spiritual freedom. The third is to share in the sufferings of Christ. And that sharing in the sufferings of Christ, one, it's misunderstood. But two, people are like, I don't want that. You know, like, I don't want to suffer. I don't want to share in the sufferings of Christ. Which I think is a fairly normal response if you're not there. Yeah. Right? Even if you're suffering, like, you still might not want it, even if you embrace it. Yeah. And it's it's misunderstood and it's hard to understand. But that's Mm -hmm. the beauty. That's the thing is, is you, you shouldn't be able to grasp the Catholic faith in five seconds the first time you hear something, I mean, there's a reason, there's a reason that's a growth. It's a lifelong process. Right. I think that's where, but I just, the thing is, is I've, I've always heard that the whole, our relationship with God is not like a transaction. To be honest with you, I would have, I wouldn't mind if, if people at least were, were trying to make it a little more transactional, you know, I mean, like, I mean, try to earn God's love a little bit. I mean, <laughs> just a little, I mean, more than a little I, bit. Yeah. I feel like it, it, these different sentiments apply to different types of people. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I feel like yes. And yeah, yes. no, you're right. Some you're people right. do need to make it a little bit more transactional. <laughs> I feel like those people probably don't watch this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Did but, it did I freeze here? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So are you ready to get in? Okay. We have one Kevin. Wernalis says, Jesus Christ, pray for all of my needs, intentions, and petitions. Amen. Thank you for joining us, Kevin. Thanks, Kevin. We've got a quiet group today. Are Is you that ready from to... Catholic Link or from mine? Probably Catholic Link, right? Uh, it doesn't say on here. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, it just says Facebook. So let me go to the second reading so we can move forward. From First Thessalonians, Paul Silvanus and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. 
we give thanks to God always for all of you, remembering you in our prayers, unceasingly calling to mind your work of faith and labor of love and endurance and hope for our Lord Jesus Christ before our God and Father, knowing, brothers and sisters, loved by God, by God, how you were chosen, for our gospel did not come to you in word alone, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with much conviction. Okay, so this is just the entrance of the letter to the first, for, of first Thessalonians. And I would love if we could talk to each other like this. That's just kind of how, how I, I just read that today and I was meditating on it. I'm like, I feel like I needed that right yeah. now. I feel like the church needs this. Yeah, because right. that makes sense. It's like, when's the last time you heard a speaker get up, a, a, a teacher, a priest, and speak to his people this way? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, speak to their, well, it's the whole classic heart speaks to heart. Now, I will say this. I've come to believe, I don't think this way of speaking was necessarily common even in Paul's time. I don't, I, I think sometimes people tend to think, oh, this, I, I, I've started to meditate on that. I, I do believe in every age that the saints are unique. That's why they're, I mean, I don't think the saints are the norm. I think they're unique. That's why they stood out, um, which is something to understand. I, I don't actually think our time is that dramatically different from Paul's time. I've come to believe that as I get older. Um, and the way he spoke, the way he spoke to his heart, it moved people because it was so unique. It was heart speaking to heart. Yeah. And, and just like greeting people, like what if you just like approach people, like grace to you and peace, like what I want is the grace of God and peace in your, you know, actual peace in your life. Like that is like so powerful. Just those little two, you know, words is really powerful in this moment, you know, in 2020, I just feel like, yes, I need grace and I need some peace. And that's where I am. Yeah. You know, and, and to call to mind that they're being remembered in prayer and they're recognized for the good things that, you know, that they're doing for their labor of love and endurance. Like that's, we don't talk to each other like that. Like in, in our culture, it's, it's not recognition of the good of the other. You know? No, I know. I'm just thinking, I've just thought about when's the last time I've heard a priest or a bishop address his people this way? I mean, I like to think I have. I mean, I hate to say that, but I'll just throw that out there. Well, you can this weekend. Yeah. Well, (laughs) and and I mean, I I speak, I mean, during the pandemic and stuff like that. I mean, Mm -hmm. there's homilies I gave that. I mean, I don't know if they were quite to this extent. I've thought about that. Um, when So there's a few dynamics, right? He's able to name grace in the life of them because he knows them. And he's paying attention to what is good. Mm-hmm. And he's my calling heart, out my the heart clearness. Would, I'll be honest with you. I'm just going to throw this out there. If my bishop washed, I don't care. My heart would melt if, if my bishop was able to name one good thing I've done last year that he would speak to me and said, when you did this, I was very happy. This was excellent. Yeah. You know, you know, it's, it's amazing how rare that happens in the life of parishes and 
life of priests. So, and that's something to think about also when you're dealing with your priest, you know, before you criticize them, it is important that you probably build them up and, you, and that, that they you know, like, and not in a way it's tough. It's a very hard thing to do though. Cause I've seen the counterfeit cause I've seen, I've seen priests and I've seen priests give terrible homilies and you have flatterers and they come up to them and they're like, that homily was great. I'm sitting there like, sorry, no, that homily was not great. That was, that was pretty bad. And like, you're just sucking up to them. Right. I mean, it's just like, yeah, flattering. Yeah. But, but yeah. I think in general, maybe not just in the church, but in general in the church culture, because there are, you know, apostolates and ministries that work outside of the, outside of the structure. I think in general, we are not good in Catholic culture of doing this. I think we need to give this type of feedback better. Yeah. So, well, it's, it's tough. It's really tough to build a dynamic ministry and it's tough to build the dynamic team. I think the, the biggest quality of it, actually, I think this is a quality of parents loving is you have to delight in a success of somebody else in your team. But there's a, as a leader, you have to surrender your will and as a parent. So do you delight in the thing that you want them to do? Or do you delight in the thing that they did on their own initiative? The thing that they took ownership for, and maybe even the thing that you didn't want them to do. That's like, you know, that's, I mean, for, as a parent. That's a hard question. I feel like that's threefold trick yeah. question. <laughs> well, the big thing is a lot of parents, they project onto their children, right? This is where the whole idea, kids should want to earn your affection, but, and, and there's, it's, it's a delicate balance. They should mm -hmm. want to earn your love. So some people say, oh, your parents should just love you unconditionally. You should, don't have to earn your love. No, that's, that's false. They should want to earn your love, but there should be a way in which they earn your love by being what God is calling them to do and being themselves yeah. that you delight in who they are and what they have to offer versus I feel like, what you want them to be. I feel like I delight the most in the, the gifts when, when they're working on developing their, their unique gifts and then they come and show me that's like the best. It's not necessarily like, I want you to do this, but it's like, mom, look what I draw, drew or mom, look what I did. And, and they're developing their, their mental skills or whatever gifts that, the, that they're developing. And then that's the best. Yeah. I delight the most then. Then the second right under that is being able to listen and follow directions. I delight when they can listen and follow directions. Yeah. And there, there needs to be a certain element of that. What I'm saying is like the, the big scheme things, right? If your kid wants to play soccer and you want them to play football or they want to play football and you want them to play soccer or you want them to be in theater and they want to do music or you want them to play the violin, they want to play the guitar, you know, things like that. Because mm -hmm. that really does. That's one of the I mean, if I could create a list of how do parents screw up their kids, that's the worst one. Right. Is like I want to play the guitar, but everybody in my family plays the violin. So I have to play the violin, even though I hate it. And, and even if I'm good at it and they praise me for it, I don't like it. So I don't really want to do it. Yeah. Yeah. But there are things like math that you actually have to do. Yeah, of course. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. 
I mean, where it's, it's like, I don't want to do math. My mom's making me do math. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Like, I mean, well then there, there's always, there's always those dynamics. And I don't think it's like always like just tell your kids to do what they love and don't do things there. Find uncomfortable. Well then also there's a dynamic. I was talking about this with a friend is if kids decide to choose something that they are passionate about and they love, you have to remind them of their commitment and help motivate them. I, I realized that I was talking with a friend about sports. I said, if your kid, so there's, there's a lot of parents who are more conscious struggle with the fact, I don't want to force my kid to have to work harder at sports because I don't want to project onto them like something like that. But if they want to get better at it, you have to help motivate them to embrace the difficult parts. Like, I think it's a conversation you're going to have with your kids. Do you want to get better? Yes. You have to, you have to work through the pain and the discomfort. Yeah. Yeah. And that, and that's a little bit, you know, obviously that's a little bit difficult, but we talk a lot of in terms of life skills, like this is a life skill, you know, like this hard thing we need to get through because you need it for the rest of your life. Yeah. And it's kind of a non-negotiable in that way. Like in your life, these are things that you will need. Um, and, and doing hard things and persevering in that way is a life skill. Um, and the other thing about this reading is that Paul reminds them who they are. And I think also as parents and as, you know, a spiritual father, you, you're called to also remind them who they are in Christ. Yeah. Like, I always have to remind my children, like, you are a good child, you know, like always like enforcing the good from me because a lot of times your own inner voice is your parents, you know? So I try to do positive, positive, positive. And then when the negative comes and then it's obviously negative, but being gracious and real about their gifts. Right. And, and why that they're, why in being in Christ is, you know, and loved in Christ is important. Absolutely. Because we I don't mean, treat let's, let's also forget St. Paul says these nice words to him, but then just last Sunday he said, you stupid Galatians. Yeah. I guess yeah. the Thessalonians were a little bit better than the Galatians. I'm sure he called them stupid at some point yeah. too. Yeah. And some people, some people are like, do you think he would have changed that? I'm like, no, because sometimes you need to be like, you know what? You stupid Galatians. Sometimes that's hilarious. I have gotten in. I one time I, I laid into somebody in the comment section. I was like, I was, well, I, I just I was. I, I mean, I actually, I was thinking to myself. I was like, I feel like I sound a little bit like Paul right now. The way I was writing, I was like, it was kind of funny. I was like, I was like, uh, I, I, I had to pull up the quotes I said, but I was really, I was laying into somebody. I was like, I was like, uh, I was, what? Actually, I don't want to get into what I ever said. I was just thinking about it. I've, I, well, I've gotten the past six months, I've gotten comfortable now. I'm very comfortable with the idea of pissing somebody off. I've gotten over that hurdle in my life. I don't know if you're like much of a people pleaser, but before the past five years, the idea of somebody being pissed at me would have really bothered me five years ago. It would have really bothered me when I was in seminary. Somebody not liking me would have profoundly bothered me. And now I'm kind of at the point where I'm like, I am totally fine. If I have a clear conscience and I feel like I say what I need to say, I'm okay pissing somebody off. I think I'm 
probably in the middle. I'm starting to like clear my heart about like, does this control, is this really important? Or is this just a way to control my feet, like a fear of something and make me not do what I'm supposed to be doing? You know what I mean? Um, not that I need to be, you know, not that I'm the nicest person in the world or I'm, you know, pissing everybody else all the time, but just in general, like, I don't know. I'm in the middle. I'm a little scared, but also getting over it. <laughs> yeah, the process. Yeah. Well, and I mean, to be fair, uh, yeah, the, like when you're, what, what, what changed in me was six months. How long ago did the pandemic start now? I got to get my timeline right. Was it six months ago? It's longer. Really? Yeah. Holy cow. I mean, like it, it depends on like well, when, when the lot locked out, locked out in March, right? March. So March, April, May, June, July, August, September. Holy cow. Yeah. It's been eight months. Oh, no wonder <laughs> we're all tired. Um, so but when this whole thing started, I realized after month two, that no matter what you did, whatever, no matter what you do and what you choose, you will piss off a, a many people, um, unless you do nothing. But even then in my position, doing nothing will piss off people. Like there was, there was no way of getting around it. I had to get comfortable with the fact that a lot of people were going to be mad at me, you know? And that was, that was an interesting dynamic that, I mean, cause I can feel it. I can feel it right now. I have parishioners that hate me. They just, they have a burning profound. They may not have addressed it in themselves. They may not realize it, but they hate me, you know, like, and it comes through in 101 ways. <laughs> and you're like, yeah. That's sad. But, yeah. but I also, I see it and it's not just, perishes it's they hate everything about it you know like yeah. it doesn't matter how people responded people are gonna hate it like they hate everything right now 2020 they just hate 2020 and all that it encompasses like and just have you have you had somebody hate you like just where you could feel their hatred for you to what they were saying because i mean i think i've had it happen like 10 or 15 times in the last week um recently i don't think i've been around someone that i knew that hated me yeah like within the last year but i also like have been holed in my house for a long time. <laughs> it's a it's a very unsettling experience yeah <laughs> when you're yeah. i mean and yeah um yeah no i, I definitely have parishioners and people i come in contact with who uh who who and it's, it's, it's a weird dynamic. Cause it's like, they kind of hate me, but they're not willing to address it. They're not willing to admit it to themselves. So, um, yeah. yeah. And maybe in time, you know, there's a lot of trauma going yeah, on. Right to be now. Fair, I mean, to be fair, I mean, I process and work through it, but there are people I'm mad at and I kind of hate too. I mean, that's, that's part of the dynamic. I'm like mad at them. But I mean, the thing is, is the only, the only thing that I would say that has been my saving grace is that I'm able to love people better when I'm willing to admit that my hatred for, for situations and for people. Um, and the more I've processed it, um, the more I've taken it to prayer and really reflected on it yeah. and called it hatred. Cause that's the other thing is people just hide. They hide, they hide what they feel and they experience. Right. Yeah. I, I, right now, if somebody says to me, I don't hate anybody, I would say, well, either one you're by yourself and you're in a room and you're not paying attention to anybody else. 
you don't have a big enough circle that you know you're actually interacting with people or you're really just delusional you know yeah yeah um and i more often than not it's the delusional part because these people will say i don't hate anybody and then a minute later they'll be talking about somebody in such a profoundly negative way and i'm like my friend that is hatred <laughs> yeah. or wishing wishing ill upon people like yeah. that has been very pro very uh, there's a lot right now and yeah. it's you should go you should go back and read through the comment sections on the homily for last week i don't want to <laughs> <laughs> it sounds I, sounds it, like it, I, don't, I don't know if i'll be able to but it, it's not it's not even like i'm being troll it wasn't like i mean because i i try to i try not to draw attention to trolls it was just like yeah it's like i i tapped demons in a, a bunch of people and it's just like boom yeah um, I mean, I try not to draw attention to the, the negativity and the troll behavior, but the, the, the thing that struck me about last week, to be honest with you, is I knew a lot of the people that were the meanest. So like, it wasn't an anonymous troll. It was like, mm. this person hates me. They know me. Like, this is not an anonymous because anonymous like troll, I can kind of be like, you know, I mean, do they really know me? Have they ever like sat down with a meal with me? And some of the, the most, the, the ones I was like, this person knows me, they have spent time with me. And that is just like, Ooh, ouch, ouch. Yeah. Ouch. Yeah. And if you look at my homily, to be honest with you, it was pretty empathetic. Like I'm not, not really that mean of a person, you know? Yeah. I mean, like you're strong on certain things, but not directly towards like personally. Yeah. Um, and it's just like you said, you, you touch something in them that like has them lash out. Yeah. It's like, this is, this is a open wound. Yeah. And that, and it just, sometimes there's like zero control. Yeah. And but here's the problem wounds. as a priest and our Lord has to do this. And we have to do this when we're preaching, you have to step on the landmines in people's lives. You have to, they, I mean, they talked about that when we were in seminary with IPF, they were like in the solitude and silence, what does the Lord do? He says, we all have like, they did this imagery. It's pretty funny in the IPF. Like we all have this minefield. Don't go danger zone. And he says, well, what does Jesus do when we give him time and permission? He walks right into the minefield. He sets off all the mines. <laughs> Which is which is why we don't like silence. <laughs> exactly. Because we we're like, no minefields today, okay? I have enough. <laughs> I, I know. I don't, I don't want to be uncomfortable. I just want to think happy thoughts. Yeah. But, but we can't. Sure. And this is, I think this is why people are so upset with some of the sports stuff and everything like that. There is nowhere to escape. There is yeah. nowhere to escape um, right now, which is, is profoundly... Because I mean, can you even can you even go to a movie and say I'm just going to watch a hero story, just a freaking hero story? <laughs> no. <laughs> Who can go to movies right now? Yeah, well, that's Who can't it. even go to movies. <laughs> but just like, just a, a a knight kills the yeah. dragon, wins the lady with some good production, some good looking people, some eye candy, you know, and just where you none, feel good about yourself that. in the world. I mean, now it's like everything's got an agenda, right? Yeah. Like yeah. the only place you can go is adoration. Like, yeah. Yeah. And then there's nothing else. There's no, like, even Escape. if a different priest has like, has an agenda, you know what I mean? Like sometimes you can't even do, have that at mass. 
which is upsetting and sad. But yeah. but really, like I think I gotta mention that at the beginning of the homily because it's just tough. Because I mean, I feel bad because I want to be I want to be nice and encouraging, but I'm like. I, I got to trigger you right now. <laughs> like, <laughs> it is my job. It's my job to trigger you. <laughs> I mean, I have to find the parts of your life that you're trying to avoid. I got to shine a big freaking light on them. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I know like, yeah. And they're like, crucify him. <laughs> crucify him. <laughs> no, I mean, most of my parish, actually, to be honest with you, for the most part, I've, I'm surrounded by so much love and support. It's just, it's the, the challenge is it's a small group of people. I see them on a regular basis and it just, it's, it's one of those things you have a hundred people who are supportive and appreciative of your honesty. Even people who disagree with you and you have one person who's trying to silence you and you fixate on the one, you know, like I got a hundred engagements of thumbs up, but do I pay attention to that? No, I paid attention to the one troll. Right. Right. And that's one, that's what you bring back into silence, right? Is like, how do I work? How do I work this out of my system? How do I not focus on the negative? Right? Yeah. Acknowledge, but not focus. So we need to get into the gospel because I got to get going in like 10, 15 minutes because I'm probably doing a little bit too long because I got to meet with the student leaders. All right. Uh, The gospel of Matthew. The Pharisees went off and plotted how they might entrap Jesus in speech. They sent their disciples to him with the Herodians saying, teacher, we know that you are a truthful man and that you teach the way of God in accordance with with the truth. And you are not concerned with anyone's opinion for you do not regard a person's status. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it lawful to pay the census tax to Caesar or not? Knowing their malice, Jesus said, Why are you testing me, you hypocrites? Show me the coin that pays the census tax. Then they handed him the Roman coin. He said to them, Whose image is this and whose inscription? They replied, Caesar's. And that he said to them, then repay to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and to God what belongs to God. Okay. So with this, one of the comments that I really want to bring out is that when he calls to mind whose image is this on and whose inscription on those coins was the image of Tiberius, the Caesar of the time. And that the inscription was the son of God. So he was calling out that not only was it a graven image, but also something that was not to be, you know, held onto by them anyways. Um, And that, and that while he did say it was okay, obviously this is like paying taxes or whatever is, you know, isn't, you know, said no to by him at this point. Um, but also that the image of God is in, inscribed on us. We give ourselves to God, mm-hmm. you know, and, and you give to Caesar what is Caesar, which is his coin with his face on it. Like give that back to him. You give to God what is God, which is yourself. Yeah. So it's like, I really like that. 
reflection of absolutely what what is due what is due to caesar and what is due to god and that's i mean when the culture doesn't believe that there is a god and they only believe that there's a caesar it's a big problem right because then they just give themselves to the government yeah and that's that's tragic yeah I'm a little tired here I'm, I'm trying to absorb it a little bit a little bit of silence here let me just <laughs> it's okay. trying to think of a good question i'm trying to think of normally i'm a little bit more this has been a long grueling day i know um, but and um, i still made him go live everybody is my phone yeah, no, no, it's, it's, I, I love doing this. No, it takes me out of my comfort zone, right? Um, yeah. so, so like, I mean, I guess the question is, are you willing, are you willing to, I mean, do, for, I mean, there's the one aspect. Do you give to God what is God's? Do you give to Caesar what is Caesar's? Um, so, I mean, what do we owe the government? What do we owe the government? What do we owe our country? Um, we owe them a certain kind of piety, right? And that's the essence of piety is to have a certain reverence for authority, which is something Paul uh, Peter picks up on in the, um, yeah. There's a challenge because the Jews and the Old Testament, I think the challenge for the Jews that they're kind of addressing is the, the Torah is not set up for them to be slaves or for them to be servants. Um, the Torah envisions them being in charge. So the question is, how do you deal with a corrupt authority that you're, you're, not, you're, you're not a part of? And I think this is the classic question of St. Thomas More as well. Um, that, and th this is a real challenge right now in American politics is that everybody has figured out that anger, sex, uh, sexual attraction, anger, and fear are very effective in motivating behavior. So in this environment, the effective politician, the effective election taps into sex, fear, and anger. This makes the opposite of authentic discipleship, um, no matter what side you fall on. Um, and it's a strange paradox that to, to effectively lead, um, it seems like our leaders are relying on that. And I don't know if there's a, a clear way out. This was why Plato and Aristotle and the great ancients were very skeptical sometimes of, of um, democracies was because they saw this tendency and they saw this in ancient Greece. And I think, I mean, I think the key is, uh, and we've said this, and I, I believe this is a key principle Democracies only work when there's a higher principle that that governs the lives of its citizens. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I will going... say, I think both candidates, I actually think both candidates, I, I've called Trump the first, um, I don't think, I don't see him as a Christian Christian leader necessarily. That, and that's not a strike against his policies. I definitely don't think of Biden as being informed by Christian values. I think the way the way politics and media is being done is for the most part not reflective of a Christian ethos and mm -hmm. a Christian society. Mm -hmm. um, We're post-Christian now. Yeah, post-Christian. Um, but going back to Cyrus, 
God can use Cyrus. Right. And, and reflecting, like you said, back onto the first reading, it is so that the people may know that there is none besides me. Yeah. That's the goal. That's the good news. That's the striving through this crazy is that so that people may know that the Lord is the Lord and that there is no other. And that's hard for everyone, right? That's- you, know, you know, it's a haunting line that could, I think we could connect with our current political situation and maybe a little bit of the scripture is Dylan Thomas. I think he gets it wrong, but I think the line is still profoundly haunting. He said, um, do not, and do not go gently into that good night. He said, the, the wise men at their end, no dark is right because their words fork no, no lightning. They do not go gentle into that good night. And I think that's like the despair of, of not knowing Christ and, and not believing in the life to come, which is the more you come to seep yourself in the wisdom of God and the more and the, you're enlightened by his truth and by the truths of the faith, you become sad with this world. I mean, you, you start to see the great terribleness that people do the lack of understanding, the lack of wisdom, you know, and and, that, and you like, and it's like, give to Caesar what is Caesar and what a God is, what is God's. Um, yeah. yeah. And, and recognize what's happening in the world. Like we really need to, you know, you know, Advent's coming, prepare the way of the Lord. Like this is what we need to do in our own hearts, in our own communities you know, and in a real way, not in a platitudes way, you know? Yeah. And I only know how to do that in myself and then maybe, you know, with the people, few people around me, right? And and talking to you about this and, and hopefully we have some sphere of influence in this way to just say, you know, yeah. repent and believe. Absolutely. You know? Well, and paradoxically, the more you learn to mourn this world and you start, you stop looking for this world to be your God. You're, you're able to operate more within it. Um, right. That's what uh, Pope Benedict gets it in Space Salve. He says, if you don't hope in the life to come, your hope has to be in this world. And that's sometimes people misunderstand hope. Christian hope is not, is not the, the feeling of hope. Hope is well-wishing. Theological virtue of hope is longing for heaven. It's hope in eternal life. That's the theological virtue of hope. It's not thinking that everything's going to work out for the fine. It might not work out. You might suffer a terrible death, but if you die in Christ, what glory awaits you if you die a horrible death for Christ? Right. You know, I mean, Christ t- died a terrible death, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And, and that's not the end. That's why we celebrate heaven's and uh, saints entry into heaven. Yeah. Right. But, but see, and that's the, the, the thing with St. Thomas More and the other saints. I mean, yeah, death does not have the final say. But when you die to this world, you can be effective in the world because you're not clinging to it. You're not, it doesn't, when, you're, when you find out your boss is corrupt, you're not shattered because you know that we walk among so much corruption. When priests and bishops are corrupt, you, you, you have humility and say, there go I, but for the grace of God. This, this world is corrupt. 
And right. if I'm saved, it's by God's mercy. Right. And that, and that leaving the church, like this is so hard, but it's true. Like leaving the church because of corruption is le- still leaving the church. And that's so like, that is really hard yeah. for people. I've come to believe, I've come to believe the hardest thing for people to embrace community. I've realized that the, the modern thing that you can do, but I mean, you, you can do this in other cultures is the, the, the hardest thing to do is to embrace community and to invest in it and to push through the hard times with the community. Cause now I've, I've started to realize that there's some people they they'll have an initial kind of Hollywood, not Hollywood, a honeymoon kind of like they come back or they, they come alive to the faith. There's a honeymoon period. And, and then there's going to be a crisis. There's going to be a disagreement. Yeah. There's going to be somebody who hates you and you know, things like that. There will you be know, a cross. There will be a cross. <laughs> and then when that comes, people say, well, I can just live by myself. And, but you know, strangely people who do that, who live only for themselves, I find by the time they get 70 or 80, they're almost completely useless. They're, I mean, I'm not, they have ontological worth. I'm, they have human dignity, but they're just, they, they live for themselves and they, they don't, they, they, yeah. You know, they, they often become isolated and alone, have very little offer. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, and that's hard, right? It's hard to watch. It's hard to experience. It's hard to, you know, just say, I don't want to be like that. How do I not be like that? <laughs> you know? Have you, ever seen the not death, guidance. Have, you ever, have you ever seen the death and old age of people who invest in others and care for others? I mean, it's like they're, they're surrounded by love, you know, mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and the deaths of people who are selfish and self-centered, they die alone and forgotten. And I mean, it's not all about being remembered in this world, but you know, it's yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a hard, it's a hard topic. Yeah. But Well, uh, hopefully we didn't. Okay. We got to close with a prayer. I got to, yeah. this is, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm in a, it's weird. I'm in a great mood, but I'm also in a dark mood. This is dark times. Yeah. Yeah. But we're, we're talking about it. And that's the first step is to talk about it. Yeah, absolutely. To integrate it within conversation. Absolutely. So let's close with a prayer. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, Heavenly Father, I ask you to bless all who will watch or listen to this. I ask you that they may overcome every snare of the enemy, that they may learn to embrace the cross and come to the glory that is the possession of saints. I ask you to bless all who watch or listen in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Father. Thanks, everyone. So take me to the fountain that I seek. It's welling up, it's welling up in me, me. Looking for a way to build daily prayer discipline? Seeing the rise in mindfulness meditation, but not sure if it is possible to meditate in a way that's consistent with your Catholic faith? 
Just looking for a way to breathe new life into your existing prayer routine? No matter what you're looking for, Hollow is here to help. Hollow is a Catholic prayer and meditation app that helps users deepen their relationship with God through audio-guided contemplative prayer sessions. From meditations on the daily gospel to the rosary to daily examines, Hollow has something for everyone. Hollow is the number one Catholic app in the U.S. It is free to download and has permanently free content, but you can also check out all of the premium sessions for 30 days, risk-free, by signing up at www.hollow.app breadbox.